How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I've been gone for a couple of weeks, been busy with some things, but I'm back and I've got a bunch of episodes lined up and I'm excited to get back at it. If you want to support the podcast, the best way you can do that is to make sure that you're subscribed on whatever platform it is that you listen, share it with some friends, and if you can, leave a review. It helps a ton and I appreciate it a lot. My guest today needs no introduction. He's been on this podcast four, maybe five times, and he's my friend and he's crazy. And that's from his own words. And you'll hear him say that in this episode. Give it up for my friend, Zach Moore. But before we enjoy the episode, as always, a shout out to the sponsor, Action Specialty Roast Coffee and Natural Supplements. Make sure you head to drinkaction.com. That's action with a K. Use code word curious and you'll save 15% off all of your specialty roast coffees and natural supplements. Things like turmeric and hemp, MCT bombs, and soon to be released mushroom blend coffee for endurance and immunity. Action has the best specialty roast coffees imported from Guatemala, specialty batch roasted in Austin, Texas, and delivered fresh to your doorstep. Light roast to dark roast and even a specialty roast with Anthony Rumble Johnson. Go to drinkaction.com, use code word curious, and enjoy this episode. The first time you were on here and how I actually got to know you and what we talked about then which is really manifesting itself all over the place. And I think there's probably people that have listened to this who maybe they're listening again now that thought you were crazy and you've actually been a fortune teller. And I think to kind of like set the tone. I'm I'm definitely, we're we're going, right? Yeah, we can. Why not? Let's just roll into it, bro. Uh, Let's just go. I am crazy. Uh, First. (laughs) Bro, I've lived a very... um, I've lived a lot of experiences. I, I know what crazy is. I'm a little bit crazy. You have to be a little bit crazy to have been willing to say the things that I was willing to say a year ago. Um, but you know, you gotta be trust, you have to be able to trust in like your research process and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, over the course of uh, a long time and, you know, Curtis and I have a really strong relationship and, uh, he's kind of, he's very, you know, he's Eddie's right hand man. So Curtis. So so just, just to kind of level set, because I know, like I was saying, not everybody who's listening now was definitely listening when I had you on, I think like episode nine, maybe. And this is, I think we said the fourth time you've been on here. So we've gone down some rabbit holes, but I think maybe frame up what happened a year ago, because I came across you as I was getting back into jujitsu. I was connected into the Austin, Texas scene through people at on it, my partner, Joe, things that we're doing at action. And we started to communicate and I, I was like, oh, here's a guy who does jujitsu. He's an agent. He represents somebody in the NFL. He wrote a book on the salary cap. He seems like he's really smart. And that was like, I was getting on to talk to you about that. And then like along that process leading up to it, I found out that your whole publishing deal was canceled. And so that was the whole first conversation, which I mean, we're, I don't, we don't have to get into all the details, anybody can go back and listen to that first episode that I had you on, but maybe just give the 30,000 foot overview of that whole situation. 
Um, you know, what people are kind of coming to realize now is that there were a lot of reasons, a lot of incentives and a lot of like lockdowns, riots, everything. I, it, something, something happened over the last year that uh, was well orchestrated, well planned out, uh, actually planned out. You know, the, we've all seen the documents, the things, Event 201 or whatever, all that stuff that sounds wild. But, uh, you know, here it is, you know, here's, here's who took part in it, all that kind of stuff. And so... Uh, my, I lost my publishing deal because I decided that I was going to pick a fight with uh, just basically just sports media, woke sports media, and just recognize that um, at some point during the pandemic, you realize that outlets are only allowing their writers to say certain things. And so there's all these people out there that are pretending that they're like some sort of social justice warrior and they're doing something for a good cause. And they're just doing whatever they're allowed to say and they all think they're courageous and they all shout down whoever disagrees. And at some point they all decided that after three months of yelling that everyone needs to stay inside and let their business for, you know, just deteriorate, being a part of the jujitsu community, knowing the people I know, uh, feeling like I'm on the ground floor as like a journalist, like talking on the mat with people. Josh Rogan was just on Joe Rogan's podcast and said, uh, a, a reporter is somebody who drinks with the public in the pub the journalist is the person who has a drink with the public official behind closed doors. And I recognize that I had what I was learning on the ground and people, people's perceptions was in line with mine, that this whole thing was crazy. Um, and then, and then, you know, you, you see the flip and, and all these people in sports media who are like, Oh, we can't play sports. We can't do anything. You can't open your bridge. You can't do anything. All of a sudden they're donating to bail out people, people out of jail um, using the Minnesota Freedom Fund, which has been had a spotlight on it because Kamala Harris donated to it as well. Um, it's bailed out rapists. Uh, it's bailed out uh, abusers. It's child abusers. Um, bailed out a wide variety. And so I, I kind of picked a fight and, and Triumph Books decided that the fact that I, you know, had information and, and to back up what I was saying, and I took issue with something that I thought was immoral and unjust, um, you know, I lost the deal. And that kind of set me off on a path of just, uh, you know, where we are now and, and where my focus is now. And I just recognized that I didn't want to be a part of uh, what I thought I wanted to be a part of. So did they, was there like a directive from them to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I had a beer with Kyle Bame and Quentin Rosenweg, uh, two of our black belts, two of the best guys in the world, sitting there having a burger and a beer. beer and I'm like, man, like this school's about to blow up. Like I'm 10th planet. Like I'm on like a, like 10th planet Austin, you know, once we open back up and I realized how much people are going to need jujitsu and I realized uh, the opportunity we had in Austin and I already saw the writing on the wall. I knew Rogan was going to move here. Um, I could, I could just tell, I could tell the comedy scene. There was too much, too many advantages here in Austin um, for comedy, for grappling and, and advantages that already existed um, like a lower cost of living, you know, obviously it's getting more expensive, but um you know, like a lower cost of living, uh, more job opportunities. And then it was, you know, we were open, we were allowing people to live, uh, freely. And, you know, I'm in, I'm in Texas, you know, and I, I have my issues with wearing masks and things like that, but I can't imagine what it's like. I've heard from people in Boston, you know, if you're outside without a mask on, people yell at you type of thing. And so, you know, so much has kind of pushed people out of there. And I kind of realized in that moment that all the stuff that my dad and I had talked about for years, we're, we're both New Jersey natives, moved down to Austin. And uh, the stuff we talked about for years about, you know, why my dad loved the city and, you know, what he saw the potential for it um, was coming 
in hyperspeed. It was speeding up and, and all the things that we were doing at 10th Planet Austin, it was clear to me that things were going to continue to speed up and to continue to grow. Because Curtis, we were in this position where we would have like, and we're back at it again, where it's like we have a, a legend come in or like a 10th planet, like Black Belt or like the M I've gotten a role with Carlos Condit, um, Hapio Lovato. Um, you know, you got our 10th planet guys. You've got uh, PJ Barch, Marvin Castell. This is just the last couple of months. Nikki Rodriguez has been through. So I saw the writing on the wall that, and then, so I'm kind of, I'm in my, I'm in bed and I'm like, I see some uh, post of like some rider attacking a cop and I, and this guy I had argued with before. I'm like, Hey man, maybe, maybe you'll, maybe your donations will bail this guy out of jail as well. And so he comes back, you know, I get called like the, the ists, the, the ists and the phobes, you know, um, which are like the dumbest. I mean, we've gotten to the point now, which is great is that, um, I think everyone's realized that if someone's calling you a racist, you're probably not a racist. Like the, the probability is very small. Uh, because there's such a large supply of people calling you names and such a low supply of actual people who are like that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he's like, oh, you, you know, you don't understand and you don't care about blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, my publisher calls me and it feels like I went to the principal's office and I'm like, I'm an adult. I'm, I'm 30. I'm about to turn 30. Like I've got, you know, I've got all these, I'm a leader. Like I, I'm, well, why am I going to not tell the truth uh, because of this. And so a week later, I found information that illustrated that uh, New York City Antifa and this bail fund uh, were calling the same lawyers. So I was like, if, if you're calling the same lawyer, if you have the same lawyers, like, of course, you're bailing, bailing Antifa out too. Like, this isn't some like, hey, were you a good boy? Or were you a bad boy? Like when you get into prison, like, oh, like, are we going to bail out a good boy or a bad boy? Uh, no, you're just bailing everyone out. And so uh, I posted that it got retweeted, uh, you know, quite a bit, you know, <laughs> it, it was probably one of my more popular tweets. Um, you know, cause people, you could feel that the, the, while the internet was fake and while the narrative is being constructed on the internet right now. And I, I have a lot of theories and beliefs about, you know, the, we all know the censoring, but I also think that there's, you know, Joe Biden will tweet something. And in the first two minutes, it'll be like, I had a salad today. And in the first two minutes, it'll be like, it'll have 200,000, you know, Bro, I know, I know people who've leveraged likes and followers and all kinds of shit yeah. on social media and they, they're nobodies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, don't, yeah, it's, there's obviously some games going on there because perception drives all of that. Right. I mean, if, if what he's saying isn't getting a whole lot of attention, that's a, that's a big problem, right? Because we feed yeah. off of that momentum. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And and for me, you know, a part of all of this was I didn't want to take part in the lie anymore. I hadn't read Alexander Solzhenitsyn's Live Not By Lies yet, but, you know, what was I going to do? I was going to, um, you know, am I going to not tell the truth and not act, you know, act like I do in the gym, you know, talk to people, uh, you know, voice my opinion, you know, have conversations. I wasn't going to not do that, you know? And, no, I, and so the, the, the industry doesn't want you to. So I, I, I decided I was going to step outside it. I think that's a, it's a really good point because I want to, I want to clarify something, right? Like I have an issue with only one type of person and that's the type of person that uses all of their struggles to try to get a, get out of jail free card or a free pass in life, as yeah. opposed to use it to motivate them to try to gain a better perspective, to pass on lessons to other people, to, to truly do good in the world. I see a lot of people who they take their misfortune 
and they use it as a crutch and as an excuse. And that to me is what I have a problem with because everybody's gone through something. I don't care who you are, what economic status you you've come from. It doesn't take away the fact that people have problems and have to deal with difficult things, but it's become way more valuable to lean on these problems and just illuminate them as your reason why you're not good enough. And that to me is, that's a personal problem. Like I can't subscribe to that type of shit. I refuse to believe that I'm not capable of great things and doing good things. So it's like, I, I, to me, that's where the crossroads are, right? It's, it's below the surface. And we see this virtue signaling back and forth, but in all reality, where rubber meets the road is a layer deeper as to why people are even doing this in the first place. There's a, there was a, there's a video I just saw like yesterday of a, a black father in a mixed race. So he, he called himself uh, an ink dot and a bowl of milk in this town, this small town in Texas. And somehow critical race theory is in that school or, or being debated about being in the school. And he's like, I refuse to believe like this, like all this narrative about white supremacy, because that means that I think I'm inferior. And like, that's, what's weird about the whole narrative and the whole push is like, this is white supremacy. And that is white. I mean, we both know that we've seen like, this is like crazy. Like this is a crazy racist idea. Objective thought is white supremacy. Like people make that argument and they think they're on the right side of that argument where it's basically saying like, that's what's underlying the whole thing. And that's the other thing you realize over the course of this year is because a lot of things came into focus and we, we, we really saw, um, the movements for what they were. Uh, one of the things about COVID, it felt like it was speeding up a long-term slow burn of communism, like a slow plan. And like, it was like, man, we got to get this guy out of office because like, if he has, we have four more years of him. He's going to continue to undo things like the Paris Climate Accord. He's going to continue to uh, create trade deals that favor America and, and, and have some sort of net positive of bringing jobs back home and, and further strengthening the economy and country. Um, he's going to close down the border. We're going to not be able to continue to uh, destabilize the nation and try to um, really import people who don't have the skills necessary to succeed on a, on a high level um, and hopefully import more Democratic voters, which is essentially so, what we're seeing happen at the border right now. So I, I was thinking about something. So you've probably heard this before, but I, it was something that was on social media. I think my wife like brought the story up to me. It was about how if you take like red ants and black ants and you put them inside of something, they'll stay apart from each other. They'll kind of do their own thing. They'll build separate communities. But if you start shaking it all up, they instantly attack each other because they think the other was the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. And my point to this is that when you look at the leaders in this country, whether they're political leaders or whether they are, you know, athletes that have a platform or whoever, actors, musicians, you know, social media celebrities in this day and age, right? LeBron James. Yeah, right. So you get this this group of people who have a lot of potential ability to affect change financially. They've got this voice, but instead of doing that, they're shaking the pot. Yep. And the flip side, or I guess the catch to this is that they all get to go home after shaking the pot and yep. climb into their big cozy beds with their silk sheets and their security systems and their 10 foot fences and their gated Beverly Hills or whatever community. And 
I can't, I would be disingenuous to think that everybody who's doing those things doesn't have the best interest of people and humanity at hand, but I damn well know most of them don't. And most of them are shaking the pot to get all the little worker ants pissed off to carry what they want forward for them, as opposed to try to bring things up as a way to solve problems and create change. Because I don't see very many of them. There's, there's definitely examples who do, but most people love to just put their voice out into the ether and allow it to do whatever damage it can possibly do. What you're talking about is, uh, is what I was looking for while you're talking was usually there's a book right here called, uh, it's, it's by Willie Lynch, who's a slave owner. It's not, it's not a book, it's a speech. It's a speech he gave in like 1712. He was a slave owner from the West Indies. And um, he uh, basically illustrated that the best way to control your slaves, you don't want to kill your slaves. That's, that's an economic loss. You don't want to damage your slaves or beat your slaves because that's also an economic loss and it can uh, harm the machinery, for lack of a better word, of what they were considering, right? They're, they're I mean, you know, however depraved manner they looked at, uh, their labor force, right? And what they did was they recognized that you needed to get them fighting with each other. You needed to separate the house uh, slave from the field slave, the light-skinned slave versus the, uh, from the dark-skinned slave. They would, um, they would beat and dehumanize the man. They would kind of switch gender roles too. They would, they would treat the man and they would fe- make the woman so fearful that she would have to take on a more masculine role. Uh, they would make the man more submissive. And so, I mean, am I, am I not describing what, what, what's gone on for the last year? I mean, they, they, like if, to a T, I mean, we're talking about uh, making men more submissive. We're talking about, we're talking about feminism there too, as well as, you know, kind of switch up gender roles. We talk about, uh, you know, as we talked about Austin, AI, Austin ISD, the independent school district is giving uh, elementary school kids pronoun buttons. I yeah. Mean, tell me about this. Yeah, so it's yesterday we finally, you know, I had my emails I sent back and forth with principals and superintendents earlier in the in the year. Uh, finally, yesterday we went down there uh, to talk to somebody because, you know, they sent out a letter that the kids, this is a completely unscientific, mind you, that kids need to wear masks outside. I mean, pe- no one needs to wear a mask outside, but kids especially don't. But they've been making the, they've been, uh, do, making the kids do it all year, and which I consider to be, you know, abusive and anti-science. And this woman, you know, is sitting outside the school with, with us and we're talking about it because they, they reprimanded our youngest, like for taking his mask off at recess when that had been sent down the chain. And, you know, this woman's sitting in front of us and she's like, we're trying to, you know, appease everyone. And I'm like, no, you're letting the inmates run the asylum. And what I should have said too, is that like, you're not, you're not trying, uh, Jamie, obviously Jamie's much nicer than I am. And she's like my, she's my, or she's much less combative than me, uh, which is something she's trying to work on with me, maybe. Um, you know, she's such a sweet person. So I let her do the talking. And what I should have said was, you're not like, you're not listening to either side of anything in this. Like you, you're sending kids home with pronoun buttons and these kids aren't even going over, over, um, sex ed yet. And now Jamie's been working in the mental, uh, you know, mental hospital, as, as you've talked to her on this podcast about, 
And some huge percentage of the kids there are kind of playing with gender roles because we're introducing this stuff to them at a young age. And then we have things like Demi Lovato come out and, you know, it's a huge celebration. It's the biggest news, um, you know, and, you know, she, she's like Gina uh, Buontempo or Gina Florio. Uh, one of them is her maiden name. I forget which, but uh, she was just talking about, uh, she just posted a video that she predicted she'd go trans and, and change her pronouns a month ago. You know, because she had this whole dust up with a froyo shop that had diet cookies or something, and so it's like this weird attention-seeking behavior. That's that's what it is, man. It's it's especially yeah. you see it ramping up because for the last year plus, these people who did nothing but just be famous. Yeah. Right, and I'm for for lack of trying to be completely disrespectful. Her music's not my type of music, but the i mean dude turn on the radio there's you can't find good music anymore everything is producer driven you know i i was listening to something and it was it was talking about how music used to be artist driven and not just from a financial perspective but the artists wrote the song they created the art and then it was put out to the masses and then commercial business kind of got involved in that to take it to the next level and to monetize it but now the monetization has taken over and it's become a producer driven world where music is pre-written and they go out and they find somebody who fits a mold that has some physical ability or talent to be able to sing and then they put them in front of the crowd and they're the face of this overproduced music well now when everything is politicized you can hear it you can see it we have gone from listening, like, uh, let's just talk about race, right? We're talking about an a, a early rapper. And as we talk about this early rapper, think to yourself of uh, a, a, a black, a young black man in the 1960s. And he's at a, he's a Southern Baptist. And the only music he hears is the gospel. He only hears positive messages. And now that same child today is... What, I mean, what are the messages that we are pulsating into our brains with beats behind it that make it more likely to sit in there? And, and I mean, how, you know, remembering what someone said on a podcast is much harder than remembering uh, what Jay-Z said on, on an album in 02. Well, that, that is the one thing that I find very ironic. And without like, I'm not trying to turn into a culture thing because I don't, I, I understand what I understand from where I came from yeah. and what I was exposed to. So I don't want to, I don't want to come across as if I understand all that, but what I do understand is, is to what you're saying, right? I've seen so many people be grilled, raked over the coals for comments, statements that they've made and many that are taken way out of context. Oh yeah. But people are held accountable for things that are 15, 20 years old and whether or not that's right. And I, I think that it's silly that we, it's just, it doesn't make any sense, but you don't see that same type of behavior when you look at rap music and you know, it's, it's, it's like, and, and I guess the best analogy I can make is like comedy, right? We know people who are in comedy are making jokes, but you you can't make a joke about race. You can't make a joke about uh, women. You can't make a joke about homosexuals because it's not taken as a joke anymore. 
you will be canceled or at least they'll attempt to cancel you. Right. But Tony Hinchcliffe, I mean, he, he just, he goes up. My friend did it was the one who took the video of the whole set. It wasn't the video that got leaked. And the guy before him is this Chinese comic who makes racy, you know, he has racial comedy and Tony is just continuing the show and he's doing the kind of material that I've seen him do at the Vulcan. I've, seen, I've gone twice. I've seen him do similar material each time. He recognizes the crowd. The crowd's raucous. People are coming out of COVID. They're pissed off that they got that what about what happened and they want to release. And so he comes out and he says what sounds crazy if you just take this one minute clip um, and, and you take it out of the context of a, a comedy, a comedy uh, venue and, and you know, that's what the culture, and I only use Black America as an example because the same people that are telling you how woke they are or are selling you the woke movement, the producers, the people at the top, are the ones that are making sure that there's not positive messaging within music. I mean, they well, can that's, make that's anyone. What I'm, that's what I'm getting at, right? It's like yeah. you get all these people being canceled, but then you look and it's like, it's either, it's got to be either woeful ignorance or completely calculated because- there's a lot of the same thing that it's like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not, but I'm not telling, I'm not telling this guy that he can't rap about that. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because of his skin color. Maybe it's because it's a female. I, I, you know what I mean? But it's like those standards aren't the same because we don't want to scold a, a class of people who we're trying to empower is almost how it comes across. What I, um, and I feel more comfortable saying this now, uh, I, I, it's something I've said to you off air and I've said to other people off air. Um, I think that when you do business with China and I think, I think that they, they determine your behavior here at home in some manner. I think that I had this weird thing going on in my head where I'm like, was some of this, like, is some of the woke stuff that, like, China, like, all, so much of their operations in China, and then, like, they can basically hold their product and their company hostage, uh, and not, think of how much is made in China. When I think of some of these companies and some, and some of their reliance on China, I do have, have those sorts of questions, like, if they, if they don't obey, and they don't continue to subvert our country with this hateful rhetoric that's only intention is to divide, because none of the rules are even, and you can't have a just society if the rules aren't even. Rogan comes out and says, uh, you know, as a part of a broader speaking thing, the, his, so now they, they keep trying to cancel him and people around him. That seems to be a very large goal of me, the Media Matters type crowd right now. And so he has Joe List on his podcast and what Media Matters, uh, uh, I think it was some pronoun boy for Media Matters. What he released was um, was this, clip that says white people aren't white men aren't gonna be allowed to speak and right before the clipped out piece is this guy them talking about this guy who's like white men shouldn't be allowed to be self-deprecating because being self-deprecating is a sign of privilege and so the next sentence is basically him being like at at some point it's going to be white people can't white men can't speak and they blow it up and that's the reality of the situation though is that like what you just described too is that like there's one group we're trying to empower. And then there's one group that we are going to blame for everything. And just because uh, white people have generally speaking, had an easier roll of the dice than the average black person, if you were to average them out. But I, I know from my personal family history that my family, both grandparents didn't have an easy roll of the dice. 
So what they also do while they continue to propagate this narrative is they devalue your family history in a very disrespectful manner. One of my grandfathers was a sharecropper in Oklahoma. He taught me that white people and black people, no one's better than the other because he had to work right next to what, what amount he was, he amounted to a slave in, in his eyes. My other grandpa was an Italian who, you know, was banished from his family and made it work and had a very successful business. You don't get to tell people that they're privileged uh, repeatedly. And then also when they're dying from an opiate epidemic, pretend that they have no problem. I mean, how many white people are out there, uh, you know, across the part of the country that you're in, uh, it has been deeply impacted. You and I have talked about this often, and it's a very personal thing for me as I, as I, I was addicted to pills. Uh, I never got to the, to the stage that some other people have, but I understand it, and I have a lot of empathy, and, and we talk about, uh, as I, I kind of kick this off, like, I've had a wide range of experiences, so um, I know what being wrong feels like, and I know what being right feels like, and uh, that's part of why I was willing to step out and, and kind of put myself in a position to get canceled last year. So I want to go back to something that you said, because it, it's with the whole pronoun pins. Is that so? Was there like an actual pin? Like, yeah. what, what is that? Because I they saw somebody, I don't know pin. if it's a joke. I don't know if it's a joke, but I saw somebody, they shared a, they shared a thing. It was like a crocheted, soft, fake penis for trans yeah. children. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if that was real, but when you told me, hey, they're sending kids home with pronoun pins, like, what's the context behind that uh they had like a gay pride week in in an elementary school in an elementary school like that like they don't talk about sex like sex ed is fifth grade sixth grade like yeah i had to go home with a i had to go home with a permission slip in fifth grade to have my parents sign it so that i could learn about how pubic hair grew i mean that was that was like the thing man and to learn about condoms and, and hygiene of your, of your parts. That was fifth grade. And I remember how uncomfortable my family was just about the whole thing about the school teaching us that, you know what I mean? It was, and, and I, in fairness, there's also a lot of kids and families that don't mess probably teach those kids, those things. And so there is a benefit and kudos to school districts who do it the right way and teachers and, and adults that help out with this that are able to be an influence because I, I do want to make sure that I don't come across like I, there isn't a reality of, of that, right? There's kids that yeah. don't fucking eat on the weekends because they come from just really bad homes, right? And so it's like, that's the that was a tough thing with COVID. Kids that weren't going to school, they were stuck in an even worse scenario. So I don't want to take away that schools bring a lot of value by stepping in, but I, I do think there's a very fine line and sexuality is a tough one when you're dealing with kids that are in fifth grade and below. But if we're talking about pronouns, that shouldn't be something that kids are thinking about, let alone being manipulated into thinking about or, or kind of pressured into thinking about. Like my issue is that you know, and this is kind of the vibe that had started to come around last May, but it kind of got squelched. We forget the vibes that were going on in the culture. I listened to a weird pairing that you're about to hear, Ben Shapiro and Logan Paul. It was such a weird pairing that I needed to listen to it. And it was from September 2019. If you listen back to that episode, 
you learn, you, you are reminded of the culture war and where it stood. And a lot of things were starting to come apart because a lot of these things against Trump, I mean, and that was around the time that the first impeachment failed or the Russia collusion started to come undone. And that's, that's part of these distractions. I mean, it's no coincidence now uh, that, you know, Bill Gates is who exactly who the conspiracy theorists were saying Bill Gates was the entire time. Um, and Jeffrey Epstein, you know, died just prior to that episode I'm talking about with Shapiro and, and Paul. If you remember back um, last May, and this was, I, I may have mentioned to you, but it was, it was a, a, an interesting moment for me because I, I know what Eddie thinks and I, and it really just solidified that Eddie's like kind of like a gangster who doesn't care what people think. And I had shared Dana White saying, you know, there was this New York Times reporter that was like bashing the UFC for uh, holding events. And he said, and Dana just said, I don't give a fuck what that guy thinks. Like he's getting clicks, good for him. Like I, I, don't, I don't give a fuck. And so I posted that and I was like mood for the rest of the year. Cause you could feel it in the culture. You could feel that Texas was opening up, Georgia was opening up. What, what we had believed that we weren't gonna see some huge swell and huge, huge increase in numbers. Well, we were, we were seeing that we were, we were right. And so Eddie reposted it and he was like, I don't even want 700,000 followers on Instagram. I want 200,000 soldiers. If you've got a problem with anything I say, stay in your basement forever. And like, you know, I learned more about Eddie. Eddie's turned down like deals with people um, because he doesn't want to sell himself to uh, the wrong vehicle or anything. Like Eddie's really true to his art and himself, which is a really inspiring thing. And, and that those kinds of those moments during last May really made me realize that like things were turning, but then the whole George Floyd thing happened. And then it was like this crazy onslaught and this crazy distraction and this nightly thing in the news, every single night you're watching visuals uh, on your Twitter or your Instagram of cities burning down. Um, some violent thing happens and the whole, and the whole time you're watching it and you're like, the media is pretending that this is just some peaceful nonchalant thing and not a, what they call January 6th, not calling it a violent insurrection. So, um, you know, we watched that unfold all summer and, and I feel like people got a little bit distracted, but I'm feeling it again, that things are really starting to turn when you see a few visuals, like, you know, baseball, you can really see the cultural impact of certain sports now because baseball opens back up for opening day here in Texas and it's all, all maskless. No one really cared. I felt like the visual of the Canelo Alvarez fight and the UFC coming back were really important visuals um, for the country to see. You know, you hear people, they're like, and, and people have realized like people that aren't, aren't as crazy as I might be or, or, or you know, aren't, aren't as, you know, so looking into it kind of person. Um, that are like, none of the rules make sense. This is all bogus. And so um, I feel like people are now in a position, we've kind of been patient on when to do another podcast as well. Like you, you at, we've been talking about this for like two months. Um, obviously we got, we got our various commitments and things like that, but you know, it, it's, it kind of feels like the right time to come back on and, and we're in this position now where uh, I think we're starting to see a pivot. And I think some of that, has to do with the doctor, Dr. Fauci, the, the Wuhan uh, gain, of, gain of function research coming out and it being illustrated by that Josh Rogan guy on Rogan's podcast about how Fauci's the head of the snake that does all the gain of function research 
and the corrupt investigation into Wuhan, the way the media lied throughout about, you know, it's a, it's a conspiracy theory. It came from a, 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 a bat mar a open air market. And, um, you know, everything's kind of coming out. I mean, Fauci Gates, I mean, it's been a, it's been a pretty big last two weeks. And, um, while they've been able to tamper down the revolution on social media, I think the revolution in the world and in what people are, you know, the conversations that we're having, it, it's ongoing. And, and I think that, uh, if voting is real, which we're not sure if voting's real, it feels like, it, it feels like things are, things are, um, things are moving in a, in an interesting direction for us. Dude. Is voting real? Yeah. Right. No, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I, it took me a second, but when you were talking about that, I was thinking back to when all this happened and it was, it was kind of like a, there was a lot of social pressure for people that were just kind of sick of the PC culture. You felt the shift. And then right away, this whole event triggered everything to go 180 degrees, the opposite direction. Yeah. May, May was a big month. May was a big month. Like I could feel the underswell. I could feel Rogan was talking about it. He was being a little bit more, you know, I, we, I brought him up a couple of times, but you know, he's a good barometer for where the more open-minded culture is because, you know, sometimes I get frustrated by his devil's advocate playing, but he does a really good job of bringing people on and letting them tell the story and keeping himself a little bit above the fray sometimes. But even last May, he was like saying the same thing I was saying in prior to my, to my people was just like, after this COVID thing, after we all had to go through this thing, this woke shit is dead. But then it came back to life like a Frankenstein that we had to just tamper down one more time with a few more months of people really coming to the realization that this whole thing was, was not what we were told it was. And remember, I've, I've talked to you about this more than once because it's the most important moment of, of the last year. In my opinion, it was a really, really big moment when Aaron Ginn's medium.com article was taken down he basically illustrated that this was going to hammer old people young people are going to get it and be fine and this was at a time where governor cuomo governor whitmer governor wolf uh newsome murphy five uh four or five i i always i always forget i think it's all five but i always feel like it might be four but four or five of them sent covid positive patients into nursing homes because they were afraid that the hospitals were overflow president trump sent Cuomo a ship that he could have put COVID positive patients on, uh, at least in New York um, City. But, um, you know, and hospitals weren't overrun at that point. But they sent COVID positive patients into nursing homes. Governor Cuomo, I mean, there are almost 14,000 uh, COVID deaths or deaths with COVID, but are called COVID deaths or deaths with COVID because um, only 4% of the deaths didn't have a comorbidity, 4 or 5%. And uh, the average comorbidity was like two, two or three. So we're talking about like basically the final straw that broke the camel, camel's back with a lot think of Think about this though, not to interrupt you, but I'm thinking about two, three people right now who, if I started to lay out the facts of what you write, which is if you're, if you're a healthy young individual, the chances of you being impacted in a negative way directly from COVID is very, very unlikely, very unlikely. And we put ourselves at risk voluntarily for several other things on a daily basis that we don't even bat an eye at. And I've tried to explain this and they don't want to hear it no. and they don't want to hear it.
because they're so afraid that I'm going to remove the veil and show them that daddy who's protecting them was wrong. And it tears down their entire world because they've based their entire reality on what daddy's told them is okay to do. And that's what, like, I see that behavior and I, now I can see where it can lead and the danger that it can take because there's all these people propagating things that they don't know to be true or false, but they're afraid for it to not be true because there's such a grave consequence to the rest of their life. If this isn't right, because it means that they were misled. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's, it's a religious thing, man. Like it's, I was really thinking about this a lot today. I was thinking a lot about feminism and because I had a good conversation with somebody about uh, feminism, leftism, the paternal resentment that we you can feel within the movement. A lot of misguided dudes and women who probably didn't have the proper role model in their life to kind of whip them into shape and discipline them. Um, and they look at, and a friend of mine said, they look at Ameri- old America as like a, their, their, their evil daddy, like the daddy that they didn't like. And I just, I, I, I don't have the patience for it anymore because it's, it's become so obvious that there's, and Tim Pool's talked about this is that, you know, there's been research that comes out. If you just ask people what they believe based on stories, you know, Russiagate being a big one. Like if you believe the Russiagate Trump narrative, like you are a silly person. Who, who doesn't consume like proper news and like you are just pulled whichever direction your emotions go. And I think that's kind of the thing we learned is that, and what bothers us about these people is that it's so clear that they're, they're operating from a position of emotion and so much so that they're willing to be pulled any which way. And you said something earlier that I wanted to address. You said a lot of times the things that people get in trouble for are taken out of context. Ariel Hawani, speaking of emotion, is the perfect example of this. Um, Gina Carano said what she said. Uh, she posted that meme that basically was like, um, you know, looking at your neighbors as an other is how horrible things happen. And she compared, and there was a Nazi Germany reference in there. It's like, this is how looking at each other, like, oh, you don't wear a mask, you're a bad person. And that's the thing that bothers me about masks is that to believe that I'm not wearing a mask because I'm selfish, you have to believe that I'm going out into the world knowingly knowing that I'm just going to go out and infect people willy nilly. And you, and this is the consequences of like a decade. You know, I think it all goes back to 2008 when Obama became president, because that was really the catalyst where if you disagreed with Obama, you were branded a racist and then that it became racist. And then we had Hillary, but we had the various characters along the way. You become a sexist, you become a this, you become a that. Can I, can I give, can I put something out there to to play devil's advocate with you? Um, Do you think it has anything to do with the fact that social media became popular right at that same time as well? And as opposed to just being, you know, if you oppose Obama, you're a racist. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure some people probably thought that, but I think some of it is if I say something now there's, 300, 400, 500, a billion people who all have a microphone to tell me I'm wrong and to give themselves a voice when they never had one before. The, the, the parties lean into it though, too. Oh, for I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I just, I, I would think that it's, I think it's the microphone I agree. in front of everybody, but I don't, I just, I think then as politics do, they follow behind that and they leverage and they put the gasoline on that fire 
because it's something that's already exists. I mean, that's politics take advantage of what's in existence in the day, right? Well, think, think about this. Think about the debates that we've had over the last 12 years. Obamacare. Uh, Republicans didn't want Obamacare because they wanted to kill grandma. Um, Republicans don't care about gun control because they don't care about dead kids. Uh, you know, these are the narratives. These are the things that they say about Republicans. So when you've been hearing that for a decade and you see someone outside without a mask on in the middle of what you think is a crazy pandemic because you're uninformed, the average Democrat thinks that 50% of, of um, COVID positive cases, cases go to the hospital. So these are people who are grossly misinformed. And not only that, but a lot of the times they have a moral justification because a lot of these people don't practice a religion or they don't believe in God. And therefore, if you don't choose a God, you're, I mean, if you don't believe in, everyone has a religion, you know, uh, even, if you know even if it's not believing in, even if it's not believing in God, that's a religion in and of itself. Even if it's jujitsu, man, even if it's like, even if it's, you know, not worshiping false idols, but worshiping uh, what the culture teaches you and um, being a part of open-minded people and realizing that you have the power to move. Right now, you're injured. I'm always injured too, but you have a more serious injury. And real, being thankful that you have the power and the ability to move your body in a way that you couldn't have imagined moving it at some other point and being like, wow, holy shit, I'm playing this crazy video game with my friends and learning all the things that you learn through it and that kind of becoming a form of religion um, people choose their religion. And if you're online all day and you're in the, tw and you follow these blue check, blue check mark brigade, and you don't have a God and you don't communicate with enough people in the real world because you don't have community either. Cause that's the other important part about religion. And the other really depressing thing about this last year is that there's a lot of people out there that don't have any community where we've been back at it in the gym since May. And we were covert training the whole time uh, when we were supposed to be locked down. Uh, you know, we opened the gym app up back May, last May and, um, you know, we've had a community and, and that community keeps growing, but there's a lot of people out there that are just online and, and they think that Twitter's reality. And I know because I've been online for, we've been, I've been on you know, Twitter since college. Like you can think Twitter's reality, but there's kind of an undoing of the veil where you start to realize, especially over this last year, that these things are molded and shaped social media sites we thought were this free platform where we were just sharing ideas and the trends were the things people were talking about. Um, it was always, maybe it wasn't always alive, but it's been alive for a long time. And it's essentially, um, it's essentially just legacy media with, you know, prettier colors. Yeah. I've, it's, it's funny, dude. The last couple of weeks I had, this is the first podcast that I've recorded in two and a half weeks. It's been a it's been a little bit. I've been busy with a bunch of other stuff. Um, Rumble's fight had some other projects I'm working on, but I've kind of been off social media for the most part as well. At least way down compared to what I've what I've been. And it's crazy because out of the gate it stressed me out. I was like, "Fuck, man! Like, I I need to keep the momentum going for business and and all the things that I'm doing." But then life took over, and it's like, as soon as you get outside of the gravitational pull and you stop feeling it, and then, then you realize how expansive the universe is outside of social media and how it's like, if imagine that you're sitting 
a, you know, outside of the sun and you're looking back at earth or you're sitting on the moon, looking at earth as this small little, you know, globe that's floating in the distance and realizing like, wow, it seems so huge when I'm standing on my street in Pennsylvania. Yeah. You know? But now that I'm way up here, I can see that it's just a small piece of this greater puzzle. Right. And I don't think it's any different than that. Social media is such a small thing. And when you're outside going for a walk and, you know, you have a major purpose now, you have a son, um, you know, uh, the last year I've, you know, had, I've really taken my role with Jamie's kids more seriously and I've taken on that role more and more. Um, you know, the things that used to may feel big, like, you know, you focus on the right things, but you, what I like to be involved with it, you know, in it with is, is so much of our culture is being dictated by what happens there. So it's like watching culture unfold, which has been the interesting part about it for me, because I'm like, something's going on here. I don't know what it is, but it's having a major impact and it shouldn't have the kind of impact it does, but it does. And what's weird too, is that like, you know, everyone's on it. All the people who, you know, if you're, if you're a creative that, that uses words, you're on Twitter. So it's where all the journalists go to, and it's where essentially the establishment goes to uh, drum up support for their causes and basically uh, astroturf reality. You know, astroturfing is that thing where you like pretend it's grassroots, but it's not grassroots, right? Um, and so, you know, it's like this astroturfing reality with all these bots too. I mean, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, there was something that came out in the summer last year that like some huge percentage of their followers were like Indian troll farm bots. But of course, no one cared because they were Democrats, right? Like, so we went through this weird thing where we talked about a Russian troll farm as if that was why Donald Trump won in 2016 and he colluded with Putin and all that crazy, crazy, you know, mumbo jumbo. And, um, you know, we don't have the same kind of dialogues about any of this, but it's clear that it became a place where, uh, you know, a narrative was constructed and it's interesting to watch it from that perspective. But, you know, what we... And this is, goes back to what we're talking about too, is that one of the things I wanted to touch on too, is that like all this woke stuff and all the stuff in school, the pronouns, you know, feminism is another big piece of this too. Um, you know, I, I wrote this down today and I've been thinking about it a lot is that like men lead and women nurture. Like part of the thing in my relationship with Jamie is she trusts me to, uh, you know, be a leader when I need to be. Uh, I trust her to provide me with valid feedback to nurture that leadership and to nurture the family as well in a way that I can't, I can lead Mateo and Luca, but I can't nurture them in the same way that she can. Um, and I can feel that and I can see that. Um, and I can feel that and see that, especially because Mateo and Luca are two different kids. Mateo needs me more. Luca needs her more um, for bear, for personality reasons, age reasons, things like that. And I, I wrote that down, men lead women nurture because I feel like feminism, you know, I feel like feminism is something that told everyone, told every woman that you could have it all when the reality is we can have it all. Like together, a man and a woman in their same role together is what makes it powerful. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's data about Asian Americans are the most successful group and they have the lowest, you know, the, the average median income is a hundred thousand. And the average, the divorce rate is 12% or something low like that. And 
what this culture is now doing is it's trying to confuse people and make it harder for them to just have that natural human path of growing up, finding the right man or woman, um, creating a family. Like if you do a good job as a parent, you should be, I mean, you should be thrilled. A good job as a parent might be objectively speaking, having a son who's able to have a kid at 23 because he has his shit together. We've been told as a generation that we can have this prolonged adolescence that is killing us and in, in hurting our culture while Russia and China are, are, you know, the military is the example everyone's using lately is that we have the CIA making commercials about what it's like to be gay in the CIA while uh, Russia has a commercial about like hard men preparing for war. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's just the culture feels like, and this is part of the lockdowns too, is that it feels like the lockdowns and it feels like the culture is trying to destabilize. And that also goes all the way to the border issue. Um, it goes, it goes to the, the stimulus spending. It goes a wide variety of things are, are going to make it harder and harder financially, um, intellectually, spiritually as a culture for us to have the optimal, the optimal, um, scenario for our, ourselves. So, <clears throat> I mean, I know, and maybe you disagree with me on this, but I think you make a good point. It's what we do together. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I know some scenarios where guys a little bit feminine or takes on a more feminine role and the wife takes on a little bit more masculine role but yep. the equation still equals itself out. And yeah. I think that's the thing. Like, I don't care what the fuck you do in your household. I don't care who cooks, who cleans, who's the, who's the leader, who's the nurturer, you know, in my house. I mean, quite honestly, it's a little bit of both, you know, I'm like, right. I'm a hard ass. Sometimes I'm a nurturer. My wife's a hard ass. She's a nurturer. You know, we both work hard. We both contribute where we can. And it's a, it's a team effort. And I, maybe that's idealistic. And that's not every household, but the problem is in saying that having that standard is wrong and forcing the norm to be something else. To me, it should not matter from any of us, what any of us want to do. That's your fucking choice. But then the flip side to that is then when your when your reality is what it is because of your decisions, then you don't get a free handout every time we need to have personal accountability come back to the forefront as a, a mainstay as to what drives our decision-making. I mean, I look at everything. What's the outcome of my behavior? Sometimes I act a fool and I just, I fucking do the wrong thing, you know, or it's fun, right? I mean, I'm a human, but at the end of the day, you look at your behavior, you calculate what the outcome is, and you should be personally responsible for that. Yeah, my, my thing with the lead and nurture thing is just kind of an idea I'm playing around with. Um, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I also agree with the original, you know, the, the freedom part of this equation. You know, women should be free to be whatever they want. And that's what feminism was at its beginning. Um, I feel like there's my bone to pick lately has been like, it feels like there's a lot of confusion. And one of the examples that I keep kind of thinking about is that I think there's a lot of men out there who are living, you know, the, the Thoreau quote, uh, there are a lot of men living lives of silent desperation. And that can be for work reasons. It can be for relationship reasons. It could be for a wide variety. 
there's a lot of men out there that aren't, don't feel comfortable expressing themselves in the way that we do because they're being they're you know, the culture has become how many women out there believe in like the wokeness, the feminism, all of those kinds of things. And how many men out there are trying to find someone to be with and that part of that equation, that, that belief that they have in their head is kind of some of the, some of the underlying beliefs there are antithetical to like a, 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 a relationship that flows and works together. And, um, you know, it's kind of like a lot of the feminism is like, is like, you can have it all. You don't need no man kind of, kind of rhetoric type of deal. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's, I look in the equation or the, the example that I, I think about is I go to the grocery store and I don't wear a mask. And I just saw this guy with this beautiful woman. They both have masks on. And he sees me walking around the store without a mask on. It's completely fine. And I'm just wondering, I wonder to myself when I see this, is like, what are you still doing? Like, are you doing this to appease your girlfriend? Uh, you know, because Jamie and I go everywhere without a mask on because we don't need to wear a mask to know we're good people. Um, you know, we don't, and we don't need to have our friends have masks on either to think they're good people either. They can just be themselves and we're comfortable being ourselves as well. We've had people take pictures of us. I've had people say things to me. I, I, I've had plenty of situations that, um, most people wouldn't want to deal with. And I think with, you know, ears that look like mine, I have a responsibility to at least lead from the front on the whole mask Karen uh, thing. Cause people might be less likely to say something that, that to someone who has these ears and is, is built like a, a square rectangular, you know, a box. And so, but I watched these guys walk around and I, I wondered to myself, like, because it's this thing that keeps coming up. Cause I've been in those relationships where, you might, you know, they're like, oh, what you're saying is too extreme. And Jamie's the nice, as nice as it comes. When she has a problem, though, is because she, she gives me the most leeway and she understands my intentions and she understands what I'm trying to do creatively. Um, you know, she, she does provide me that feedback when it needs to be done. But I feel like there's a lot of men out there who are, are going along with this flow because or going along with the whole movement. I'm not just talking the mask lack is, of confidence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's putting the pussy on a pedestal too. <laughs> it's there. You know, I, I, I talked to my friends about that, right? Like someone was having some issue and I was like, you can't put the pussy on the pedestal. Like you can't like, you know, she has to treat you like you need to be like, like you want to be treated. It has to be reciprocal, those kinds of things. And I think there's a lot of guys out there that, um, you know, they don't have the confidence. They're, they're in a relationship. The woman is telling them, no, this is how you're supposed to behave. This is what you're, they're trying to make. They're like mothering you. They're trying to make you into a nice little boy and they're making sure your polo is done right. And, and it's iron and, and all that. And if you go and look just on social media in that small little corner of the reality, you would think that that's how you're supposed to act. And so yeah. you could be fooled, right? You're like, well, shit, man. She's saying that I'm misogynistic and I'm not giving her her space. And she's, uh -huh. and then you go and look on social media and you're like, well, fuck man, maybe I've been wrong this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, mean, no, no, go ahead. I, it's 
that's what I mean about the narratives, right? And that's what really irked me last spring was when I realized that no one could be anti-lockdown. And I, and I realized that I was saying extreme things. That's one of the other things just prior to getting my book deal canceled. I was like, these people probably hate me. These people don't want to work with me. And I, I probably don't want to work with them. They're in Chicago. They're publishers. And, you know, what are the chances that they agree with me being anti-lockdown or what have you, you know, or, or being like, this is a grand conspiracy. So, okay. Okay. This is on my mind. So I want to ask now, sorry to yeah. interrupt you, but what is their, what is the benefit to them? Is it, is, is it that they don't get swept away with the, what they fear to be the exodus of anybody who doesn't step in line in the world that they live in? Is it financial? Like what, what is the motive or is it just people who truly are at the top believing this wholeheartedly, whether they've been pushed that way, like they, but they truly feel that your message was wrong and that they needed to not let that message be out in the world. Like what, what is the motivation for them to do that? Because they're stifling a lot of what I'm sure would be value that they're going to lose out on. Fear. It's just fear. It's just like, I, I talked to you about this too. It's like, like in 2013, I'm at Rutgers in a business course and I'm sitting in Jersey city and someone's like part of business ethics is choosing a cause that people like and providing a spotlight for that cause and, and making that like a charitable thing. It's the same thing that NFL players have been doing since the nineties is have a cause that is really good PR. And so part of the thing and the causes is the PR, but I also have a question of, you know, the Monday after all these cities had been on fire, every corporation in America told you they stood with Black Lives Matter. Every corporation uh, on cue that Monday and Tuesday, right after that first weekend of rioting. And it makes me wonder, it, it has made me wonder what, um, you know, what's being done behind the scenes. How, like, does, what are the, what's the communication with China? What's the communication with political um, allies in, in Washington? Because I think you and I are in agreement. The last year sure seemed like some sort of operation that's intention was impacting the election, whether that was through perception. CNN had an exit poll where the two biggest uh, things that people were concerned with was COVID. Well, Zach, I mean, I, I think if, if I'll be as bold as to say, if you don't think that this had something to do with the election, you're fucking crazy. I mean, go, go back in history. I mean, he even go to, go to fucking uh, Hunter S. Thompson. I mean, what did he say that? Uh, yeah. The guy that he was running, yeah. he was an, had an Ibogaine addiction or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Didn't he? I mean, there's, there's been smear campaigns for politicians forever. It's always during an election year, anything you can possibly do. I don't know how deep it goes. And to think that the, any political party in America was tied to China to release something, I would be more to leave. I would probably think more on the lines of some things happen all the time in the world. And if you really want to focus your attention to utilize things in a way that would make an impact, that's probably the case, but who knows? I mean, dude, I was watching videos about UFOs and I talk about UFOs all the time. And people who follow me on Instagram probably think that I'm crazy. 
but I mean, you're 10th planet. So I don't know, maybe you don't even believe in the universe. Maybe you think that we just live on a pizza box, but like, I, you know, I don't know what the fuck I wish was, was predetermined and yeah. not, but it's certainly, if you think that it didn't have some, some sort of impact on the election or that people weren't using it to have an impact on the election, you need to wake up. I think we'll one day find out that, that it was a Hail Mary. I, I, I like, that's, a, that's probably the craziest thing I'll say is that it feels like a Hail Mary because it didn't really even take out, when it, when it really comes down to it, it didn't take out that many people. And when you couple in the fact that all these governors sent COVID into nursing homes when they knew that was the most vulnerable population, Co- uh, Cuomo got a $5.1 million book deal. He killed 13,625 people if you want to put every nursing death on his head. If you wanted to do that, that's only $375 per murder, which is a pretty good, you know, I'm from New York. If you could get someone to kill someone for $375 for a political reason as well, that's a really good value. Um, you know, and so, and so they, you know, that was what the fear was in the beginning. Remember those numbers? We were like, holy shit, 4,000 people died today. I remember going to the grocery store. So I was in New York City. Um, right around like Valentine's Day. And when I got back, it was like slowly starting to ratchet up. And then within two weeks, we were in full, shut everything down, two weeks, flatten the curve. And I remember going to the grocery store right in that time frame. And there was this lady, she was like in her 50s. And she was coughing when I was going through the line. And I remember being so fucking pissed off. I went home and I was just like, that bitch, I'm going to fucking die that lady killed me. And then I felt bad. And I'm like, she's, she has to go and work. And I was this range of emotions that I didn't know what to do. I think back on that and I want to kick my own ass because I'm like, but I, I, what you didn't know, you know, it's like you you were, I was petrified. I was thinking, is this, is this going to kill everybody? You're, you're thinking that, you know, family members, I was literally thinking about everybody in my family. I'm like, fuck man, I'm who's going to die. I'm going to lose people. And I know yeah. people did lose people, but I, I mean, you could say the same thing about the most recent Ford Mustang. I'm sure there's people who bought the recent Ford Mustang and they died in a, in a car accident, which is horrible. Yeah. And I'm not trying to minimize the fact that people got sick, but I, I mean, I personally, and this is a fact, I know more people who have had adverse reactions stemming from the vaccine yeah. Then I know people who had adverse reactions from testing positive. My brother tested positive. He was sick. Um, You know, he has some memory issues. I will say that he feels even to this day that he's a little bit foggy, but you know, he was, he was thankfully other than that, he seems like he's okay. Um, I know a few other people that, that had it, they got sick. Other people that didn't get sick like you, I've been rolling around with people few days a week, not wearing a mask. Yeah. Maybe I was exposed. I think I probably had to have been exposed in some way, shape or form. I, I go to target six times a fucking week. Uh, you know, I'm like, I don't wear a mask at work when I'm in an office around okay. other people. So the thing is, is that, um, like this is part of the problem of having a godless society too, is that no one is people are so narcissistic that we think that we're supposed to live forever. If you didn't realize over the last year that like, 
you know, the time you've got is the time you've got, and you've got to make, make do of it. You know, I, I'm, I do not want to die, but I understand the concept of being, I've, un, I've been in positions where I've understood the concept of suicide, been like in an addiction place where I could understand why someone would kill themselves. But I'm now in a position where I've done things that I'm proud of and I won't die an addict or in my mind, you know, what you're telling yourself to get yourself out of that. I don't want to die an addict or a loser or something like that. Um, but I, so I'm comfortable with how the story's played out. And if I were to die tomorrow, it would suck because this is a fun ride. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have illustrated that they're not comfortable with the idea of them being put into danger and they're not, they're not, they haven't accepted their own mortality. And, um, you know, what's interesting is that in not accepting their own mortality, they spent a year of their lives living scared of, of something that they should have never been scared of. Um, if they understood the data, I'm a data guy. When we, we first started talking about a book that I wrote about the salary cap and, you know, um, you know, now, you know, my career is moving off into this jujitsu arena and writing about other things other than football. And, um, you know, I get to take that same data analytical perspective and bring it to jujitsu and starting to coach and as a purple belt, really start to get an understanding. I'm at that phase of the sport where I'm really starting to get an understanding for the game as a whole from that 30,000 foot view and be able to start telling other people we talk to them in a manner that I could talk to people about football and feel comfortable and not feel like a fraud and be like, Hey, did that make sense? And they're like, yeah, man, that, that, that was good. Yeah. Thanks. Now I get it. So it, it's, I'm a data guy. And then what I love about jujitsu is you're always out there collecting data and learning more and it's getting ingrained in your mind, but also in your body and your movements. So, um, you know, when I, if, I, I just, I don't have, like you said, you don't have patience for people who, who get emotional when you talk about these things because they don't want to hear it. I don't have patience for people who, who don't under, have no desire to understand data. Data tells the story, man. And, and understanding what the numbers mean too. Understanding that the comorbidities were the major factor. Um, you know, we're supposed to all look out for the health of people not to be disrespectful, but 80% of the people or 80 plus percent of the people in the hospital were obese. So not to be disrespectful, but we're supposed to all watch out for the health of people who haven't watched out for their own health. And that's what you were talking about too, is that there's a lot of people, there's this victimhood out there. And, you know, I've dealt with people at work who like, you know, told me, they voiced to me their opinion on masks that we should continue to have to wear them. And I realized in one of those moments, because Abbott said that we no longer had to wear masks and, you know, our work continued to force us to do it. And when I realized like how these people kind of like their vibe, like I just kind of stopped talking to one of these girls because I just, I couldn't, I couldn't fake it anymore. And cause she just, it's been like three times now in the last couple months where the only thing she said to me is, please put your mask over your nose. And it's like, Oh, this thing's over. And I, I just, you got to keep your mouth shut. You're at work. But like, it's like this thing's over, but it's not over for the people who want to, who people who can't control themselves, try to control others. So right. it's not over for those people. You know, I, I've seen that. I learned that with a family member um, a long time ago. 
And um, that's a really important lesson I think people need to take away for themselves or for other people in their lives is that if it's you or if it's someone else, if you're the person yelling at people about masks, like what's, what's going on? What's going on with you? So this new project, yeah. how, how much, I, I know we talked a little bit about it, but I don't want you to share anything you're not allowed to share, but the perspective that you must be gaining working with Eddie on this is from a jujitsu perspective, I would imagine opening up even more doors for you. I haven't started working with Eddie on it yet. Okay. I, uh, I'm of the mind with him, you know, when you, when you're dealing with someone like that, you don't want to tell them you've got this thing coming. You just want to present it to them. Uh, Curtis has given me the, you know, the, the objective to complete a book proposal about Eddie Bravo. Um, even if I weren't going to write the book right now, or we weren't going to sell the book, we might, we, who knows, we could self publish it as well. There's all sorts of options, but, um, I'm gaining the, you know, I, I basically outlined the story of Eddie and I, the mission of the book is to provide people with, and basically I'm, I, I got to sell Eddie that I'm the guy to write this, but I think, you know, he has some inkling that I am the guy to write this because him and I think very similarly um, on, on a wide variety of topics and we have similar ethos. But, um, you know, my goal with this book is it's kind of a business book. It's kind of a sports book. It's, it's right up the alley of the kind of stuff that I write about. Um, but I want to write about Eddie's mode of being and his, his mindset and his, his experiences that have molded him into that, that person and how, um, you know, being curious, researching things, um, being open-minded and, and uh, not taking yourself too seriously, um, not putting yourself on a pedestal. You know, the name of the book might just be Eddie. It's not Professor Bravo, it's Eddie. Um, and Eddie's had an interesting life. His father had, you know, and this is a thing that I really think tells a lot about Eddie. His father had 19 kids, his father wasn't present and um edgar was uh, eddie was named after him edgar cano at some at some point he changed his name because he thought to himself uh you know i'm, I'm named after this guy who's not around um i listened to again rogan talked to someone recently about his experiences with his father not being around and the way that that shapes you um i think both of them and i think challenges like this make you realize and challenges like addiction cha challenges about just challenges in general make you realize that um, it's important to be, to be, um, open-minded and, uh, you know, that the world and the norms aren't always what you may think they are, right? Like if you don't have a father, you got to figure out a lot on your own. And so you got to question a lot of things. I was always someone who questioned things in school, but there's a lot there with Eddie that just starts off with that and then sets him down off on a path of um, music and, you know, his experiences there uh, creatively, his wanting to join jujitsu to not look like a slob on stage, the people that he met, people like Todd White, who's uh, a famous artist here in town now, um, Joe and various others, and, and just the sport of jujitsu and kind of the inquisitive nature that it drives and and Eddie has been driven by a desire to find the most efficient manner of jujitsu for MMA. And that's even what guides his most recent projects like combat jujitsu, where he wants to see more striking based jujitsu because MMA has become so stand up focused, 
So take down defense, don't go to the ground and, and keep it a stand-up fight for a lot of guys. So, you know, some large percentage of the fights on the on standing in his combat jujitsu, if someone doesn't take someone down in the first minute, they flip a coin and someone has to start on the bottom. And when, when someone's on the ground, you can start slapping them. Eddie has always been in the pursuit of the best fighting art. And the story that I'm going to tell with Eddie goes along with the story of mixed martial arts and of the UFC and of the sport, a sport that has seen a hundred years worth of uh, transformation. You know, it's gone from leather helmets to the spread offense or from Wilt Chamberlain to South Seth Curry is, is as I write it in the proposal. Um, you know, and Eddie's a central figure in that. The game looks completely different than it did when uh, when uh, uh, Hoist Gracie won at UFC 1. Well, and it's interesting. I'm sure you heard Gordon on Rogan's podcast talking about the gi and how it's going to be a thing of the past within the next 10 years. Yeah, I mean, what Eddie, and that's why I admire Eddie and why I take being a part of 10th Planet seriously is that it, you do not get to be a part of something that has such an outspoken free thinking person who's willing to go against the grain and something as serious as fighting and willing to have people who don't like him for no reason other than he thinks differently in that domain. And, um, you know, he's proven right over time is that no gi grappling, all of the top shows are no gi shows. Uh, no one cares about gi grappling. I couldn't name, like, I think Keenan Cornelius does, like, gi, but, like, I really couldn't seriously name you some guys who are, you know, putting on these, like, I, I don't even really know which promotions are really focused on that. Even Fight to Win, which has gi, is mostly no gi. So, Eddie was ahead of his time. He understood, and he did things that people, like, weren't cool with. Like, he went against tradition. He went against the sacred cows. And it's important to buck tradition if you have a better way of doing it. What's not important is to just continue to like be progressive and just progress into like insanity or just like this. We just keep progressing. We don't know what the objective is. Like there's no, we're just going to keep trying new things. We're just going to keep seeing if what, what gender do you want to be? You can make it up, but like the questioning reality when you may have a better way of doing it, is uh, the very foundation of innovation. And for Eddie to have done it and for Eddie to live the lifestyle he lives where he's, he's shown you as a student that you can profit off of being yourself. If you are constantly curious, if you're constantly researching things and, and you're constantly um, desiring to find the truth, um, religion has gotten poo-pooed in our society for valid reasons, but like, we are searching for the truth and without religion, we as a culture have been struggling to figure out the truth. And I heard Jordan Peterson say this recently and I loved it. It was, um, you know, these, these, these stories that we are told these historical epics, um, you know, they are kind of an amalgamation of the lessons that you can learn from listening to a thousand stories, but they're just giving you the best ones. And we have abandoned that because we all think we're so smart and, Wokeism is just a, a religion for people who think they're too smart for religion. And the problem is that there's a lot of people in our country who think they're too smart for religion. So they've joined a religion without knowing it. Um, and so a lot of the things in our culture right now, the reason why Eddie is grown to such fame and the reason I bring up the, the single 
motherhood with him and Joe is that it's that that ability to because Joe's mentioned it too is that you listen to him talk about it and the questions that you have to ask yourself and the way you have to construct reality and understand it based on a traumatic experience like that felt no different to listening to somebody who screws up their life by getting addicted and then has to say to themselves, um, man, what, what, are, what are the questions I need to ask myself to get the answers I need? And um, this why Eddie became so famous, whether it was jujitsu or on the podcast. Mm -hmm. You just, I smiled there for a second because there's, <clears throat> there's one person who I've, I really want to have on the podcast at some point in time. And that's my dad because my dad's probably had one of the craziest upbringings. I mean, I'm sure there's people that have had worse and have had even crazier, but I mean, dude, he's, his background is, is something nuts. And the stories that he's told me and my brothers growing up, I mean, he's, he's able to laugh. And I mean, my stomach hurts when he gets done telling these, I mean, he, he talks about how my grandmother had this boyfriend named Frank and Frank was a wino. And my grandma left town for a few weeks. And my dad, his brother, and their little sister was just young, like, you know, 12 years old. And my dad said Frank took them to the grocery store, but he couldn't drive. So he ended up dropping the transmission out of my grandma's car in the road. It just totally stripped this car and just decided to leave it on the side of the highway outside of the tunnels of like Norfolk, Virginia, right there, like Newport News area. And my grandma came back and like the car was gone and she's like, where's the car? And he's like, Oh, Frank ruined the transmission. And like, that's just one of many stories of that. Like it's, it's funny, but like as an adult now with a child and another one on the way, I think about how sad oh, that shit. is, you know, I'm like, thank you. Yeah. Congrats. Thanks. Yeah, I wasn't going to interrupt again, but Oh shit. We got yeah, two. Right? Yeah, yeah. But it, it made me, it puts it a little bit more into reality. You know what I mean? It's like, I still crack up and, and laugh and he still tells me stories to this day that I've never heard before. I mean, yeah. ever. I mean, he's he chopped my, my uncle chopped his finger off in the door cause they were playing some stupid game. They would put cans of SpaghettiOs on the, on the stovetop and then stand in the doorway with a, uh, like a blanket or a, a sleeping bag and just see how big, the can would expand before it would explode all over the walls. Like they were just, they had no supervision. They were living fatherless in the sixties in, in a colored neighborhood in Virginia to a mom who was working as a bartender. Like, and it's crazy because to your point, like all of those experiences have shaped him into who he is. And, and if, passed on to me. And I'm, I've learned through things that I've never had to even experience because he was open enough to share it with me. Yeah. You know, people don't have it easy. Like no one has it easy. And that's one of the really offensive things about these movements that divide us up because the only intention is to divide us up. Like my dad went to 12 schools growing up or maybe even been more because my grandmother, who's, I think she's been married five or six times. I don't know. <laughs> She, uh, she married a guy who was, he went AWOL from the army and joined the Navy <laughs> under a different name. And they had moved around a lot. And then they ended up in Virginia. And my dad's like one day, like there was all these guys in black suits, trench coats that showed up at the house and they're, 
you know, like, where's he at? And they took him out of there in handcuffs and my grandmother went and visited him in prison for a while. I mean, it was That's so dumb. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's so fucking crazy. I mean, I've back in the he day, joined I, the Navy. he left the army to join the Navy. Join the Navy. I have to have my dad on this show just to talk to him about this stuff because it sounds like I'm making it up, but the stories, it would be two or three hours of just Joey Diaz type stories that he, he lived through. I mean, it's, he, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't it up, do it justice. Like, it's a formative, like things that happen when you're a kid, right? Like Eddie was in town last September and him and I were drunk. We were on the line for voodoo donuts. Um, don't mind you that we've mentioned that the conspiracy is they might be pedophiles uh right like they've got like some weird logo so we were joking around about that but like he got into talking to me about his relationship with his mom and things like that but then you also when you hear him on a pod i heard him on a podcast talking to john jock and talking about his father it was one of the first times i heard him talk about his father and you just these things that happen as a kid it's 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 kind of like a red pill it's a red pill that like reality isn't like this this lovely thing that is on tv which is a super important thing to learn from a young age that life isn't what's on tv um you're not you don't have to leave it to beaver sitcom family whatever whatever that whatever that means you know what i mean um whatever that version is and uh you know you get shaped by the absence or the presence of somebody and then the subsequent experiences that come after that there are certain decisions that happen in our lives too, that like completely change the trajectory of our lives as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's just the experiences we have shape us. And a lot of people have difficult experiences and those actually end up being the people who aren't like these woke people. Like a lot of the woke stuff feels like people who are kind of throwing a temper tantrum because something didn't go their way and they kind of expected everything to go their way. Um, we've all been that person. We've all been that person who thinks they're a victim, but, uh, there's way bigger victims out there than if you're in America and you, you have a phone and you know, you're tweeting about it. There's bigger victims. in you. I mean, dude, I had Sean Swerner on the podcast. I don't know if you listened to that episode, but Sean, Sean was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. He had like a Hodgkin's lymphoma diagnosis when he was, I think he said 13 and he was given three or four months to live and he beat it. And three years later, after being in remission, he went back to the doctor and he was told that he had a completely unrelated different form of cancer that was even more rare called Ashkin's sarcoma. And Ashkin sarcoma affects one or I think maybe three out of every million people. It's one of the most rare forms of cancer. And he was given two weeks to live at this point in time. Underwent an emergency surgery, some sort, and they removed his lung. And he was in a coma off and on for a year. And he ended up surviving this. And so at the age of like 17, he's now a cancer survivor multiple times, missing a lung, goes off to college, ends up moving to Florida. He was in a pre-med, drops out, doesn't know what he wants to do. He's working as a bartender and has this chance encounter with a girl one night, ends up back at her apartment. 
She's got roommates that are on drugs. There's drugs all over the coffee table. And he leaves this chick there and he realizes like, I am so grateful to be alive. I should like, what am I doing? I need to take advantage. Life's short. I learned that early. And he moved to Colorado, started training as a mountaineer. And within a year, went to Nepal and climbed Mount Everest with one lung. And now since then, he's climbed the highest mountain on every other continent. Every year he goes to Mount Kilimanjaro with a small group of people to raise money for cancer and takes them up the mountain. He's done it over 20 times. He ran the Ironman classic in Hawaii, completed that. Um, motivational speaker, you know, all yada, yada. And right now he's training for uh, his next thing is he's going to run a marathon every day for seven days on a different continent every day. Oh my God, the travel, bro. Right? That's, I mean, we were talking about how do you even coordinate that? But I'm going where on and go? on. Where do you go? Do you go, uh, you go, do you go, um, well, how do we, how, how's he going to do it? Um, I'd have to go back and re-listen to it. He, he walks through it on the podcast. I think it's like, obviously it's all seven. I don't fucking know what, what the order was, but it was very like when he laid it out, it made sense because it's like Miami, Argentina, or so I don't know the way it was Miami, Ecuador. Yeah. Uh, so bad Spain, with geography. Morocco. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you got oh, that's the it. other thing. He, he, um, he cross country skied to the North pole as well as to the South pole. I'm going to listen to that one. Like, it's a reminder at jujitsu. I, I said this to somebody at the gym today. I said, we got to stay hard or else we'll get soft. Like we just got to stay. Like I've been rolling almost every day um, for the last month or two. Um, every day I can. And my, I'm working 30 plus hours a week. Uh, I'm working on projects. I've got, you know, my responsibilities with Jamie, the kids, I have all these things, but I'm making sure like I'm, I'm rolling. And a lot of us are doing that now because we've started to recognize that like, you know, the top guys are doing it. Gordon's doing it. You just can't, you can't make excuses for yourself. Like I had, I came into jujitsu with three herniated discs and like, I, I, I fully intend on being one of the best grapplers in the world at some point in the next three to five years. Like I'm 30 I have a, a window, an opportunity because of a few various things within the sport. Like it's newer. Um, I, you know, I can be, I feel like I'll be able to maintain explosivity for like the next five years, at least, you know, it's not as hard contact as football. I might be able to string it along a little bit further. You know, there's a combination of technique and, and, you know, the training that you, the, the cardio and, and all the various things that are a part of it. But, you know, you can't make excuses for yourself. And that's what I learned from my neck issue was that I just became someone who was a victim. And thinking of yourself as a victim allows you to make a ton of excuses for yourself. And like, Sean could easily be a victim. Um, but, and, and he did the same thing I did. If you have one lung, what's the craziest thing you could do? It, it, it's climb Mount Everest or do these kinds of endurance things. For me, if you have herniated discs, Involving yourself in jujitsu is not not the the first option. Um, you know, it's it's about facing your pro your problems head on and, and and you know running through them. You know, and and doing what you're supposed to do, which is 
be a, you know, be a, a human being, like overcome adversity. Be like, be like, that's what human beings are. That's what animals are. Uh, the, the strong survive, the weak don't. Just because society is going to make it really easy for you to survive and you can go get, uh, you can get um, unemployment until whoever, because you're afraid of the virus, like, it doesn't mean you should just because it's easy to survive. You got to stay hard. And that's what I think we're going to see happen here very quickly is we're, we're going to watch what I think is this just isn't sustainable. And so we're going to see this flash in the pan and it's unfortunate because I do truly believe there's a lot of good at the core that's being misrepresented, mismanaged, but I like, don't get it twisted. Like if you've listened this far and you think that I don't care about equality, if you think that I don't care about making sure everybody has a voice in this country, that people are free to do and do what they want to do. That's all I want. I want, I want the gay guy who thinks he's a, a cat that wants to, you know, dress like a fucking, uh, an animal. Like they've got these, uh, the, 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 I don't even know what they're called here in Pittsburgh. Furries. furries. Yeah. The furry convention. They do that in Pittsburgh, don't they? Yeah. It's, it's huge. Yeah, the convention. Yeah. Do yeah. your thing. I, I want to be able to live in a world where you can be, be free to do all of that without needing to worry about it being the headline on CNN. Like we should be talking about real news on the news not talking about all the bullshit that we are talking about. I don't want any, I don't want to live in a world where we have to be restricted either direction. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, you know, I just think it's not sustainable and we're going to see an implosion of this very loose janky framework that we're trying to construct to hide what we're so ashamed of. And I think it's sad because we don't need to be ashamed of it. We need to, there's ugly shit in our history. Yeah, that's just I mean, but guess what? There's ugly shit in the fucking election that got rigged, too. You know, this guy Sanders was supposed to, you know, he was supposed to win and they fucked that guy out of his his opportunity. So don't tell me that that democracy is, you know, this whole thing. I mean, it's all nefarious and it's all fucked up. It's just whatever side you're on. Maybe you get to call yourself the winner and and the, the right side. But it's all foolish. It's all foolish. Imagine thinking the election couldn't be rigged after two straight elections, uh, two straight primaries they rigged against Bernie Sanders. Like they rigged, they rigged two straight primaries against the guy that they kind of agree with about most things. And you don't think that they would do something to get rid of the guy they are telling you is Hitler because they're afraid of what he might do to them uh, because he's kind of illustrating the whole agenda you know the whole agenda and this is to get back to the you know the the what we're seeing unfold is that we talked about these woke woke industries like they're all very financially aligned with china and and that is the game we've we've watched a, a cold civil war unfold and this time china is on the side of one of the sides it's not france that's helping us beat the british uh, right now, China is trying to uh, have their own revolution here in America. Um, and it's, the problem is, is that we have so many willing participants, whether they know it or not. Uh, they're in academia, they're in legacy media, Hollywood, um, you know, people, industries that are heavily influenced by Chinese cash as well, which is something we talked about. 
I mean, the Harvard Medical School, I believe it's the medical school, might be the business school, is funded by a dude, a Chinese billionaire named Chen, or he's like a Hong Kong billionaire, Chinese billionaire. Um, you know, some dude out there, um, his name's on the building. He's not an American citizen. And that's what you start to unpack with a lot of this stuff in our country is that we have so much foreign influence in our culture. Uh, and Twitter is one of those examples, like, like Saudi princes, apparently, uh, if I recall correctly, own pieces of Twitter. So we have things that impact us and this global economy. And, um, you know, that's kind of the goal of these people is, is to kind of fortify that group. And what you're saying, though, about coming out of this, right, and about, um, you know, this kind of, I, I really feel like the momentum's on our side, and I feel that what we're seeing happen at 10th Planet Austin and what we're seeing happen here in Austin is a sign of that. We have new members sign up every single day. Um, sometimes we have two. Uh, we are quickly climbing towards 700 students. We had about 200 three years ago. Like, it's the growth is insane and the growth has been sped up by COVID. So I think there's a lot of people out there, you know, as we talked about with some of the work we're going to do together, like there's a lot of people out there that are ready to take action. Like they're ready to um, change their lives. They're ready to be a part of something they've recognized over this last year that they're doing something wrong or something is going wrong or something they're not living to their full potential. And when I tell people that I do jujitsu now, um, we had that conversation out in public, the amount of people that are intently, like very interested in training now has blown up. And I think part of that is because of what Dana White has done, because he continued fighting for his fighters to keep fighting. Granted, I don't agree with the pay scale. Uh, you know, <clears throat> the UFC fighters get like 16, 17% of revenue while the other sports athletes get 50%. So I'm not like, you know, I love what Data White's done, but I also, there's some stuff about how the UFC's run that I don't love, but they also, UFC fighters haven't formed a union and provided themselves the best arguments. And it's a complicated game, you know, it's a complicated thing to do. It's an individual sport. There's not, you can't come together as a team and protest and, or come together as an NFLPA and threaten a lockout. And, and, you know, you wonder about all that, but People are watching it on TV and, and are very interested in getting involved. And one of the things that's super important to me about jujitsu is you can't fake it. And we're in a reality that seems so fake. So you much seems can't fake. fake it. Jacare's arm will tell you that. You, you cannot like, oh. you know, and so we have this unique place and this unique opportunity to be ourselves and be men during a time where being a man is an issue. Um, and people don't want you to be a strong man. People don't, you know, it, it, that's just, that's been made clear. And, you know, there was something that Peterson or, or his guest on this recent podcast said today is that uh, men want to be courageous and they want to have something worth sacrificing for. And women want a man like that. They want to be a participant in that story, in that story, in that journey for themselves. And that's Rock, Randall Wallace, who, who is the director of Braveheart. And, um, you know, we look up to men who are willing to stand for something and have principles and have standards. And as I've told you, the thing, uh, one of the things I learned from Curtis is you have to set standards and you have to uphold those and you have to be like very 
unforgiving with your standards and you can give people chances and they can screw up once they can screw up twice. Hell, they might even be able to screw up three times depending on the nature of the screw up. But at some point you've got to, you know, a standard has to be upheld and either you're with it or you're gone, or, you know, you're going to be looked at a different way. We live in this society where we've been told this is one of my biggest problems about political arguments that you'll have with people is that like people will be like, everyone's entitled to their opinion. It's like, you're entitled to your opinion, but your opinion's wrong. And like, it's kind of like this thing where we're just, we don't have any, we don't have any standard anymore. We're just like, Oh, like, you know, he's like the conversation with the person at school. Like, it's like, I have a, th- I have a theory on this. I think yeah. part of it is driven it's all right to have differing opinions when you feel like you can argue your opinion, but how many people even know what they're arguing? They don't even know what they stand for. They don't know what they stand for because they're reading a a quick drop in the Instagram feed or their Twitter feed. It's not something that like when I think about when I was a teenager or a young child, like I learned things by being exposed to it consistently having experiences, you know, now it's like, oh, well, TMZ said this, or so-and-so posted this on Twitter, LeBron said this, and it's, that must be what it is. And so you don't have this pressure tested idea sets that if, you know, even when people are wrong, they're not willing to engage with you because it's like, well, other than saying that LeBron said that that's what's going on, I can't even argue with you about it because I don't know anything about it. Yeah, like, there's so many distractions. And that's, you know, one of the things that I feel like happened to our culture is that, I mean, how many people do you really think sit down and read a book, uh, you know, have a deep conversation about a topic where they're willing to explore something and maybe be wrong about what they originally thought. There's a lot of people out there. And this is what I mean about the religious stuff. It's just like it, so much has become religion to people that, and I have someone in my personal life who will bring up a political topic and then you'll kind of make a comment back where you're like, Oh, you know, like for instance, they say something about, you know, we're talking about, you know, how, how things are going with the school and we're talking about how Christian schools have been open and, and all the kids are in school. There's no, we're talking about, you know, these kids are on their freaking devices all day learning through a computer when they could just be sitting there learning and, and not be on a computer, which I, which is damaging. It's statistically damaging to the child in a variety of ways, including their attention span. And I would imagine their eyes as well. They spend an entire year staring at a screen for eight hours a day. This can't be good. This isn't good stuff. And so um, they, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Um, Oh, this person says, yeah, but if they go to a Christian school, you'll have to deal with all that other stuff. And I just say back, I say, any school you're in has a religion now. Like, this is clear. And this person that I'm talking to, like, has acknowledged that, like, there's some crazy stuff that's been going on, even though they're a true blue, like, they'll never vote for anything other than a Democrat kind of person. But I made that comment, and they, they get all huffy and puffy about it. And then it kind of devolves into more political conversation. They make another comment, and I'm like, well, okay, now, now we're going. And now we're making these kind of comments. But 
what I realized in these interactions with, with people is that it's become the thing you can't say, you know, it's, it's become verboten. It's become their religion. It's become the thing that you're not allowed to question. And it's gotten really weird. It's gotten really creepy. And when you really see like the mask stuff once, you know, we're now at a point where if you're vaccinated, there was a, there's a guy on South Congress. They, he owns a candy shop. And in, he was in the Austin American Statesman this week saying we shouldn't, that the state or that the CDC shouldn't be allowing unvaccinated people to not wear a mask because bad actors might not wear masks. This dude's been sh selling sugar in, an, in a pandemic that kills fat people. And he wants to talk about bad actors because he's like, and so what you see about these things is that like the mask is a religious garb. And part of the thing we've talked about too, is that like the mask didn't work when it could have been used to open up businesses. That's why the businesses needed to be closed through May, but the mask worked once it was being used to protest. And so the mask worked once people were outside protesting. And that's why things kind of started to speed up in a lot of States last summer was like, I think, the mask became accepted as the thing that allowed people to open businesses because that was when the narrative on masks changed once it became a piece of why people were allowed to protest. Yeah, and we, we remember the articles that came out that racial injustice is such a pandemic that we don't need to worry about this pandemic because racial justice is a bigger, racial inequality is a bigger pandemic. And so these were like public health officials that were saying racism is a pandemic because a guy died of a fentanyl, what we found out later, regardless of what they said in court, whether he was guilty or not guilty, George Floyd died of a, likely died of a fentanyl overdose. And so we had this whole thing last summer about what was probably also came from a lab in China. Irony. Right? Um, it's fun having you on here again, buddy. I actually have- yeah, uh, I'm, we just kind of hang out. I know. I know. Soon. Sure. Very soon. Yeah. yeah well, well, this is our hangout for now, but yeah, we'll get, we'll get you back down here in Austin. We'll get you when you're healthy. We'll get you training. Yeah. Thank you for the rash guard, by the way. Tell Jamie that was, uh, was huge. It makes it difficult, you know, to wear 10th planet gear to a Gracie Academy, but um, it's all good. It's all good. Hey, I'm a Gracie. I'm originally, I'm a silver Fox jujitsu uh, Carl Provick, one of Henzo's first black belts. I was with them for like four to six months. Depend I was kind of in Texas for a little bit of that time, but, uh, I'm an original Gracie guy. And the thing about the Gracie's now, especially like the Henzo's the Henzo's guys is that they realize more than ever that 10th planet and like Henzo's just like two peas in a pod, man. Same mentality. Oh, I'm, so, I'm so lucky. I mean, our our instructor Warren, who's owns the academy, um, he's wrestled at Lehigh. He was oh, that's good wrestling. wrestler, yeah. And then so his story's awesome. I had him on the podcast. You should, I mean, dude, yeah. Warren Stout's a, a really, really interesting guy. He, um, I listened to that one. Yeah, so he like went down to Central America and to train with the Gracies out of high or out of college after wrestling, just to like try it out. Fell in love, and um, he's direct lineage from uh, believe so he's henzo and then sean williams as well okay and so i mean it's plugged into that that group of guys from new york which is really cool you know so 
yeah it's, it's good to be a part of that family it is it okay. is i i'm excited to get myself healthy and get back out there again it was it's a bummer but it's it's life you know get through it it's uh you you and i talked about this last night and um the various stages of the learning process and seeing where you are and seeing the progress and understanding progress and understanding growth that comes through this activity is such an incredible, incredible learning experience and vehicle for growth because of just like you get to experience it. And one of the things I realized recently is that what's so impactful about the journey that the point I'm at or what's so the realization that I've had now coaching people is you take words from someone else, you then use those words and you do it. You actually do something. You don't just talk about something. So much of what we do is just talking. So much of our learning is just talking. You learn from what someone's saying, you execute on the moves and you do them. And then at some point down the line, you're gonna find yourself doing it too, where you're gonna be able to express what you're doing in your own way and through your own experience where like you're teaching someone and then you'll just sit down and you'll do it a couple times and you'll be like, Oh yeah, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how I'm supposed to explain it. These are the things, most important things. And so you take words, you use them, then you make them your own. So that process that I just explained right there is such an impactful learning experience. Um, and just like, I, just I would imagine that, you probably see things so much differently when you're teaching it too. And when you're learn, when you're going back over techniques that you're about ready to teach, you're looking at it differently. And it may be things that you haven't seen a whole lot now that you've progressed up to the purple belt level, but going back, I would imagine gives you just a completely different visual of, and, and probably adds a lot of complexity back into your own game. Yeah. The, the I mean, the amount of reps I'm getting in thinking about what I, what I need to teach, the amount of reps I'm getting in just roles lately, I feel like I'm in a really good position in terms of how I'm structuring my training. I do need to get to a few more classes because I'm at that point now where I like to play and experiment and flow role and I'm doing the work off the mat to allow my, I, I, I it's probably not exact, but kind of the advice that I give to people is, for every hour you spend rolling or every minute you spend rolling, spend the equal amount of time recovering, whether that's lifting, yoga, running, walking, sauna, swimming, whatever it is, right? Spend time working on yourself off the mat to maximize your ability to stay on the mat and to continue collecting data. Um, but, you know, that's part of the journey I'm on now is figuring out how to properly continue to get the class reps that I need to get, go to class, learn, spending as much time as I can, even if I'm not in class um, and I'm just, and I come by the gym and I, I'm just watching uh, before I get ready for my class or I'm stretching in the corner and I'm spending that time watching and, and observing rather than doing the class and going through the move and walking around. And I'm, I'm watching, you know, Gabe, Gabe Tuttle's our head coach, great coach, getting to watch him teach and not be focused on the move right now you're injured. You can go there and maybe get a different perspective on it, um, on the experience yep. and really focus in on, because when you're, when you're doing it, like you kind of, I, I end up, I start drilling. We, we start, we go through the move. I have a good partner. 
we go through it. I tr we start drilling. We see what comes next. But when I am just watching, I might focus in way more on exactly what he's saying rather than my energy to want to get back to doing it. Yeah. And uh, you know, and so there's so many various ways to take in the information and then and then bring it back out. And um, you know, it, it's it's a great vehicle. And and uh, you know, Luca and Matteo are smashing. They're doing great. And it's great to watch a kid be involved in it and, and think of the impact that this can have on kids at a time when a lot of states are talking about funding students instead of systems in terms of the education system. So I'm hopeful that, you know, as a part of it, 10th Planet Austin is, is leading from the front in terms of, and 10th Planet in general, we do have kids that are already homeschool, but if this, if the, these states have been signing bills or passing bills that say we're going to stop sending the money for schools to these public schools that obviously haven't been serving us and instead send that money directly to the family so they can find, you know, whatever option that they want, whether that's homeschooling or, um, you know, and hopefully more and more parents realize that jujitsu is a major part of the learning experience. Cause I also, Football has brain trauma. Various sports have, have those issues. And uh, jujitsu doesn't. Well, I, I know I just saw Tim Kennedy's opening a school, right? Yeah. Uh, what was that? Uh, what's the name of it? It's in Cedar Park, though. So it's about 30 minutes from us here. Okay. I, I want to say it's like Apogee apogee schooling but i know i'm i'm butchering that so apologies but go check it out look it up he's posted a bunch of stuff about it but i think i mean that's the curriculum is things like that you know for physical fitness i i'm pretty sure there's some sort of jujitsu that's awesome yeah i mean the sport has like what i just described words action words i've gotten so much schooling i have a master's degree in business, you know, I don't need, I don't know what that's worth, but that tells you I've been in school for a long time. And I don't think anything's taught me as much as jujitsu does or molded me in a more positive way. And that includes football too. I mean, football, you don't get the same thing out of football that you get out of jujitsu. Like football, you're on a team, you can hide behind the, you know, the idea that you're better than you, than, than you are too. I mean, like you, every day you're testing yourself in jujitsu and those tests, if you don't listen to what the test is telling you and what the results are telling you, then things aren't going to go well for you. If you don't figure out how to create solutions on your own, Gordon Ryan talked about this is that John Danaher is trying to make them independent problem solvers. That is the most important thing you can be a problem solver. That's what action's looking for. That's what 10th planet's looking for. It's what anyone, any business is looking for. They're looking for a problem solver. That's what the world needs, whether it's plastic in the ocean or, um, you know, putting Dr. Fauci in jail. Um, <laughs> problems need to be solved. And, um, you know, so it's, it's a great vehicle for that. And the other thing is too, is we live in this time where hopefully people get stuff out of the podcast we're having. Um, but there's so much information out there to learn. And, and I've learned so much from various sources that no one would expect you know, no one would expect, like you said, Joey Diaz, man, I don't know if I get clean without Joey Diaz. Joey Diaz is like the, I had a, I had a Cuban baseball coach, man. He was one of my favorite dudes. I was nine years old. Um, and, you know, a lot of Latin cultures are like Italians were very loud. Um, 
They're very, they love, they're loving. Um, and Joey Diaz reminds me of just like a Cuban grandpa, uncle. He reminds me of my grandpa who has Parkinson's. So my grandpa's not the same as he used to be. Um, and so Joey provided me an example of someone who was a, a legit cokehead, uh, love coke and figured out a way out of it and became someone worth admiring. And there's so many avenues for learning and growth at this time. And, and schools let us down and, and hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, I know we're trying to get them out of school. We're trying to figure out our, our way to, you know, make it work. But, uh, you know, hopefully things are changing. And I, I feel like a lot of change is, change is coming. I mean, I don't know what you feel up in Pittsburgh, but I feel it here. I feel it. Like I said, I don't think it's sustainable, the path that we've been on, because it's not real. It's, it's, a, fake, it's a fake world that we're living in. And I think yeah. it's just a matter of time. It's, some people will never recover from that. They'll live in reality or uh, they'll live in an artificial reality for the rest of existence. But I, I, I think in some way, shape or form, things will normalize as much as possible in those areas. But I don't know, man, if yeah. not, we've, we've got our, we've got our type of people and I think we'll be good regardless. I'm, I'm staying the course and uh, I'm going to smile while I do it. Hey, people need community. So, I mean, wherever you're at, if you're, if you got a 10th planet near you, if you got a Gracie school near you, you got a Machado school, you got a whatever school near you. Um, my, my Instagram is Zach Moore, 10 P Zach with a K more with two O's. I'm on Twitter. Uh, same name. If you want to watch me talk hella shit. And basically the only reason I'm on Twitter is to troll woke sports media and to just like kind of just throw out ideas and you must just get a you must light up with a smile every time somebody responds to you every single time somebody responds to you. I why are you why are you taking the bait yeah 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 i like fighting a lot a lot a lot um and i like i like trolling uh, you know I, a lot of people don't take the bait anymore because they all have something to lose and i'm that's my what i realized strategically about the book deal was like and about being an agent and things like that in general, like I recognized that I didn't want to do those things anymore because it, it, it provided an avenue for weakness where someone could just be like, look what he said, you know, and, and, and I, you know, I, I'm surrounded by people who don't, don't care about that stuff now, which is great. Um, but yeah, I, I like uh, that kind of stuff. Cause I also have like a lot of people I admire now follow me. So people that have been like really big COVID skeptics throughout it, like, you know, it's great to connect with those people and see them sharing, you know, sharing similar ideas and just make those connections and, and continue to build in that manner too, is that these kind of conversations you and I have, uh, the book opportunity that I have in front of me might help me are, are in the process of helping move me forward towards being the kind of person that gets to just talk about the things that interest us. Like we, we just sit here, we have a two hour hang, and talk about what interests us, see where it goes. I'm sure you guys got a lot, uh, got something out of it here. Some, some other parts you might not, I might've rambled on, but people like podcasts because they like just sitting around and hanging out with two people who are talking shit about stuff that they're, they're thinking and maybe they don't have a friend around to talk about. And I was once that person. So to maybe give people that experience where they're like a fly on the wall with two other people willing to look into it, you know, is, is a rewarding thing to be able to do. Well, I've told you, man, I get a lot of, a lot of feedback when you come on positive, negative, indifferent, but it's always a blast to have you here. And, um, 
I was going to tell you, we were talking about books. So I don't know if you follow Eben Britton at all. Yes. And so I've had Eben on a, a bunch of times and his brother Augustus was just on. So I snagged this book and it took me a little bit. I kind of dipped my toe into it prior to having Augustus on. Um, but then I started to read it a little bit more. It's called A Life Worth Dying For. I don't know if you can even Eben see. wrote that, right? Yeah, it's, well, it's kind of a horrible view. But you, almost, you almost had it in. Close it up, bro. Bro, there you go. Now it is. See? See? There it is. Now so, I can read it. It's a compilation of a bunch of like small essays. But um, I'll see if I can get my hands on an extra copy for you. You'll, you'll dig it. It's right up. It's everything that we're talking about. Is it on it? Where's it? Where's it uh, on sale? It's on Amazon. It's like right, I'll buy it from I'll buy it from our tech overlords. Yeah, there you go. Um, but check it out. It's it's worth listening to. And, and Zach, as always, man, appreciate it. Looking forward to everything we're doing. So listen, if you stuck with us this long, and you know that action supports the podcast, we've got some exciting things that are about ready to drop. You may have seen Zach rocking some action gear rolling um when i get my ass back onto the mats i'll have mine on rumble's gonna have some new stuff showing up on his doorstep here shortly and yeah a lot of big things happening we're talking about a, a truck coffee truck possibly in a couple of locations so it's been busy that's why i haven't been podcasting but uh i'm back i've got all this fucking energy stocked up and uh there's gonna be a lot of podcasts coming so gear up because zach will be back on in the future and make sure you check them out but uh, as always, my friend, thank you for joining, and uh, I'll be in touch. Hey, we'll talk soon. We got, we got some stuff coming together. 10th Planet Austin and Action Coffee. So y'all stay tuned. Thanks, buddy.